I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here in studio, joined as always by Murray Kinsler of the 42. How are you, Murray? Yeah, great. Had a good night down in Liberty Hall Theatre last night with James Lowe and Scott Fardy, so still kind of chuckling away at some of James Lowe's stories in particular. Uh, it was a great night, so yeah, all good. Yeah, thanks a million to all of you who came down and uh, we really enjoyed it. Hopefully you did as well. It was a cracking evening. Uh, Bernard Jackman is also in studio. How are you, Bernard? Feeling a bit left out, I didn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Nice. I, I realised. Thanks for rubbing it in, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I can download it if I subscribe. So look forward, yes, to, yes, forward yes. to hearing the, the banter. It will be available to the 42 members, and uh, I don't know why the, you said if you subscribe. <laughs> uh, I mean, what are you? <laughs> we'll uh, break the podcast into two sections today. So we're going to do something a little bit differently. Murray and Bernard are going to look at why Ireland Ireland could bomb at the World Cup. And then secondly, why Ireland could actually win the World Cup. <laughs> so I'm really intri- intrigued to hear what you guys uh, are going to say there. But firstly, gents, the team is out for Wales on Saturday. Johnny Sexton, Robbie Henshaw and Keith Earls making their first appearances of this World Cup season, so to speak. Um, it's a strong looking team, Murray, isn't it? Yeah, almost fully locked and loaded. A couple of guys like Jacob Stockdale uh, not there. Um, maybe Piero Manny in the back row but otherwise you're looking at second row obviously John Klein gets another chance otherwise you're looking at a pretty much a full strength team Keane Healy obviously back from his injury as well is massive Rory Best starting again a lot of guys hungry to, to put that English game fully behind them um, and it looks like a really powerful Irish team as well even the midfield Henshaw and Aki pairing up against what is going to be a really good Welsh team as well they've gone um, I, I guess close enough to full strength as well they've rotated a few guys out really strong bench but even you look at the midfield of Parks and Davies Alan Wynne Jones in the second row this feels like a, a full on test match rather than a warm up and with so much on the line because the World Cup is 15 days away now which is just crazy um, it's going to be really exciting Bernard interesting looking back row combination as well suddenly looks like with a few uh, shufflings of Joe Schmidt's deck that even with the injuries to Dan Levy and Sean O'Brien there's kind of a bit of depth building there again in a way, just the fact that CJ Stander and Peter O'Malley are, are versatile in the, their nature of the way they play. Yeah, that's it. I think he's looking ahead um, to p- potential uh, permutations for for later on in tournament, but probably after after Scotland um, in terms of how he might rotate it. I think Conan... I think Conan is is making a big push to be a starter and uh, him getting the opportunity to play with a, a first-choice team around him and also, as Murray said, the calibre of opposition he's going to be up against. If he has a big game this weekend, it's going to really put his name up in lights to start against Scotland and, and whether CJ loses out to that or or CJ is part of a, of a back row with potentially Omani at seven. We saw him playing um, at seven uh, in the warm-ups that maybe Joe has head to go for his most physical back row uh, and Van der Fleer might lose out which I don't think will happen against Scotland because that's probably the game he needs to hmm. he's most likely to play in uh, given the attributes he has but yeah it is good um, you know I, I thought uh, James Ryan was phenomenal um, in, in the period he was on the field last week and um, he's going to have to call the line this week but um, you know him and, and, and John Klein do give us a, a, a pretty physical uh, second row partnership and you know they're up against um, you know Jake Ball and Alwyn Jones and you know two proper operators there so um, 
I, I think it's going to be a huge game for us, and, and if we can put a, put a big performance in, um, I think it's going to change the whole negativity that's out there at the moment, which I'm kind of a little bit shocked by. But um, you know, I think this team deserve a little bit more um, support and confidence, and we just need to stick with them um, going into this tournament. But they can certainly you know get on that plane to Japan um, in a better place mentally if they had a big performance with the starting team which well as close as possible to starting team that probably you know is going to be uh, selected for, for the big games yeah it's one more anxious weekend isn't it no Joey Carberry he hasn't got fit in time to, to feature in another warm up game they are still confident that he's going to be fit for, for the bench for that Scottish game but to have Sexton Earls and Henshaw back out on the pitch starting is, is huge for them. Those guys are so essential to so much of the good stuff that's happened in the last few years. Johnny Sexton, obviously World Player of the Year, he'll be very motivated to probably answer a bit of the criticism of him earlier on this year in his form. Uh, he looks in really good shape and by all accounts has trained really well the last couple of weeks. Henshaw as well will be really eager to add a bit of dynamism in midfield uh, alongside Aki. Um, and then Keith Earls is probably underrated as a key guy for Ireland. Um, it's funny, before we came on, I was talking to Bernard, he was speaking to a few people last night who just don't rate Keith Earls and there's still that um, Flat Earthers, Murray, they're known as. <laughs> yeah, there's still that opinion. Uh, everyone's entitled to one, I guess. No, um, no. <laughs> yeah, but though I was shocked was they weren't, they did not rate him as a as a world class player. They actually didn't rate him full stop. And, mm. and the question I was asked was, should he be on a plane? And, and uh, you know, I, I I don't listen to a lot of the negativity about players, but I, I kind of, uh, took, uh, you know, took me um, by surprise, to be honest, because I do believe he's a absolutely crucial player for. You know, for Munster, obviously, but for Ireland, you know, I think he's one of our senior players. He, he's he's a guy that um, we can rely on when the when the pressure's on, and uh, he's I think he's you know world class to be honest. So, uh, but that's, listen, it's about opinions, but um, you know, it's, it's good to see him back. We know he struggled a little bit, and Joe had said he's someone who can play quickly. You know, without having a lot of warm up games, but I do think for for all those players. Um, it's good to get a match hit out before you go to Japan, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, Joey, at least he had, you know, he's obviously come back from injury, Carberry, but he had, you know, whatever, 50 minutes against Italy, which were really impressive. So, you know, it's only four or five weeks later, he'll know that, you know, the last game he played, he was on form. Um, and I think it's great that Earls gets 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 to play uh, this week and hopefully as a as a as part of a very good team performance. Yeah, there'll be plenty of eyes on, on Jean Klein as well in the second row. Obviously he's been at the centre of a lot of the chat and a bit of negative feedback. I think he'll be of maybe a bit stoned by that in, in recent days. He needs to show exactly what he's about in this game. There's gonna be a more cohesive, um, accurate Irish team performance around him. Certainly I know Joe Schmidt has, has tapered off the, the fitness and, and the preseason element of it so they're going to be fresher it's going to be a better Irish performance but he needs to deliver on that ruck aggression he needs to be really good in the mall he needs to to show up well in the carry around the corner and be really energetic around the pitch to show that work rate and then be dominant in the tackle as well bring all those elements um, and I think people will probably get behind him a little bit more and he'll convince those who are, are kind of questioning him certainly on rugby terms anyway uh, it didn't go well for him against England but it didn't go well for anyone so it was probably a harsh game to judge just him on um, and I think we'll see him very very motivated uh, Any concerns around the lineup? just the fact that I suppose Peter Romani is one of the predominant options generally speaking and Klein is such a lump of a man he's actually very difficult to lift Cohen is probably an option there as well to be fair but uh, I suppose just going back to what you're talking about with cohesion like two games ago the lineup was sort of torn to shreds really or underperformed last weekend it seemed okay 
like Bernard, would you need to have a run of games in which it's it's kind of functioning, or can you just put it right on a given day? Uh, you can put it right on a given day, obviously, given the, the kind of experience that's throughout the team, but um, I, I don't think Wales are the best uh, defensive line out to, to judge ourselves on, so you'd be hoping we had a very high percentage of, of quality ball. Um, yeah, absolutely, we don't have, you know, last week we had four lineup options, um, you know, with Tyg and... Um, and Henderson and, and Ryan to start off, but uh, and Conan. Whereas this week CJ's not really a he can win it, he can win ball, but it's not a it's not a line out type pack. Uh, but against Wales, you don't need that. You know, it, it's it's about actually collisions and being physical. And um, I think it's an ideal game for for Jean Klein because he's not going to go have to go far looking for contact. You know, the contact's going to come to him. It's going to be very, very direct, and uh, it's a brilliant opportunity for him just to to put in the performance that probably. Um, Joe deserves given the, the confidence he's shown in him and also just to um, you know make him feel better about himself going, you know, getting on that plane he's part of our, our squad now and um, I think you know we've got to back him mm. it would be great just collectively for, for Ireland fans to see a bit more of the face play stuff that they've been trying to work on that hasn't really worked in the in the warm so far and maybe even a couple of set piece plays from Joe maybe just showing a little bit more of his hand even in terms of their kick strategy that kind of stuff I think that would send everyone, even if they didn't get a big win or even a win, just a strong performance where they show that they've been working hard and have added new elements to the game. A bit more variety maybe in phase play would be good. Yeah, give them the kind of send-off uh, that can g- give them a bit of momentum going into the tournament. Yeah. Um, let's talk then about what we were saying earlier, like breaking it into two reasons why Ireland may bomb at the World Cup first, I think, so that we can finish on a positive vote <laughs> of Ireland winning the World Cup. Uh, talk me through what you were thinking there, Murray. Well, I suppose the first thing we have to do is probably define what is bombing. successful World Cup. <laughs> yeah, what's a bombing? I think in the in the quarterfinal wouldn't be a massive surprise, really, would it? Given that you're playing South Africa or New Zealand, so like a success would be getting into the semi final. I think that'd be a good World Cup for Ireland. While obviously it would be disappointing to lose at that stage, um, I guess failure would be losing to Scotland or Japan in the pool stages. Um, but that quarterfinal is the big hurdle. Joe Schmidt mentioned it again the other day. The players are utterly committed to getting beyond that hurdle. So, for me, one of the potential weaknesses for Ireland is that there is a psychological barrier that Ireland have never got beyond a quarter final and there's that kind of narrative in your head I heard Paul O'Connell mention it again this week about how Irish players going to work ups with that in mind whereas say a France have a history of turning up and causing upsets Argentina have done really well having not been in particularly good places before World Cup so there is that massive psychological element of it. I definitely underrate that sometimes. I remember Rob Kearney last year saying, like, we're rugby players, we're human, we mm. have feelings and anxieties just like everyone else. And and those doubts probably creep into your mind. So I think that might be one of the barriers. Um, you got to break that at some stage, obviously. But mentally, I think that'll be a, a big thing for Ireland coming into it. Yeah. And then this Ireland team over the course of this World Cup cycle have gotten over plenty of those barriers. I mean, there was definitely a psychological deficit or deficiency when it came to the All Blacks. They've beaten them twice, uh, winning a game down in South Africa, winning a tour down in Australia as well. So if there is a team that can break that kind of hoodoo, it should be this team, Bernard. Yeah, they have, they have um, you know, left markers over the last four years, kind of similar to, you know, Clive Woodward's team in 2003 where they had to go and, you know, he said, if we don't go and beat these Southern Hemisphere teams and lead up to the World Cup regularly and away from home, you know, we're not going to win a World Cup. And I think Ireland have uh, created milestones over the last four years in terms of winning the series in Australia, beating the All Blacks twice, etc. Um, so I do think that, you know, talk about risk factor to to the World Cup, you know, the psychological element is is massive. The other risk is is the physical prep. 
you know, there's no doubt that we've taken a different strategy in terms of preparing the players than Wales and England. Um, and now, you know, who was right and who was wrong will be decided over the next uh, seven, eight weeks. Um, you know, I, I'm not doubting the the plan put together, but we definitely didn't look to be fully wound up at the start of these warm-up games, whereas Wales and England did. Now, potentially, that was because they were playing each other. You know, we had Italy, then we had a, a gap week, etc. Um, but that's a, that's an element of risk. Um, that's obviously, you know, the the people involved in the management have decided to uh, to go with, and you know. Uh, you know, Johnny and, and Murray and, and Earlsey and, and uh, Robbie, for various different reasons, are only getting their match practice now. You know, at the end, whereas a lot of the Welsh players, for example, English players, they were they were on the field playing with strong selections in warm up one, warm up two. Um, so that's that's the risk as well. I and mean, you know, we know we know when the when the audit or the review of two thousand and seven happened. You know, a lot of blame was put on. The physical preparation. So um, I don't think I think from a rugby point of view, I'd be absolutely shocked, and I, uh, if technically, tactically, we weren't there because I, I think our coaches are uh, phenomenally good. So for me, the only potential um, uh, problems are, or issues could be is, is the psychological we spoke about. Plus, physically, you know, are we match fit enough, ready to go against Scotland? And if you don't, you know, if you lose that game or you don't play really well, that potential effect that can have psychologically when you come to a quarterfinal. You know, I think for us to be able to go and beat South Africa and New Zealand, we kind of have to be really in a really good place physically and mentally. Um, and more than likely to get there, we'd need to have a strong performance against Scotland, I think, um, and not to get into trouble against Japan. Not to get ourselves into a situation against Japan where... You know, we're last ten minutes. We're actually, you know, trying ourselves dig it, dig us out of a hole, or you know, the game is tight. I think you want to be, you want to be shown enough form in those two games where other countries and, and people go watch Ireland. You know, they're they're on the way up. They don't have to be hundred percent, but you should be able to beat Scotland, no respect to them, and Japan pretty comfortably if you're going to be in a good place going into that quarterfinal. Yeah. There's, like, a, there's so many of these things that as we work through them like that probably can work both ways. Mm. And Joe Schmidt again spoke about this recently like you only know in retrospect really. And there's all, all sorts of randomness that comes into it like we'll, we'll probably talk about luck that's a big part of it as well. But but it can go either way even with the physical thing that could be a masterstroke because in Joe Schmidt's mind his players are going to peak at exactly the right time in a World Cup. Um rather than coming into it at their peak and trying to sustain that for seven weeks, he feels probably that they'll build up into those knockout stages and that's where they'll be at their peak physically. It does sound like it's been very different in preseason. There's a lot of talk about how like, the ball and playtime in rugby has gone massively up in the last few years. I look back at the last World Cup, I think it was 37 minutes average ball and playtime in the knockout stages. That's up to, what, 40, 42 mm. on average now. Yeah. Ireland apparently have been simulating training sessions to to match a match that lasts 50 minutes even. They're thinking against Japan with so much high-tempo play. So they've absolutely flogged the players in that sense and there's been a lot more metres probably covered in, in pre-season trying to, trying to adapt to what they expect in Japan. So that could end up being a, a really positive strength for Ireland and a reason that they could win the World Cup is because they're so prepared. The psychological thing, as you mentioned, works both ways as well um, in that they've beaten everyone in the last couple of years. There's no real hurdle there in terms of having a fear factor against any opposition. They've beaten all the best teams. Um, another thing we have to look at, I guess, is the squad and, and that works both ways as well. You could look at a 37-year-old captain, Rory Best. Uh, you could look at an out-half who's 34 
33-year-old first-choice fullback and say potentially some of these guys are beyond their peak, you know what I mean? That they're on the downward trend having peaked in 2018. And that is probably always a worry for any coach, I'd say. I, I personally think those guys are going to have good good World Cups, but you never quite know. 2018 might have been the absolute height of their powers and, and the last bit of spur to, of kind of test quality. You know, Johnny Sexton was World Player of the Year in 2018. Is he going to be able to match that again? That That is a, a concern, I guess, and I would imagine every coach has it, really. Yeah, for sure. And it, But the problem is you kind of have to make that decision a year out, you know, and make that cut then, you know, but one, and I'm not saying you should make a cut, but in terms of those players who you maybe have doubts around, are they over the hill or you have to have a good replacement to, to push them, push them out. But, um, and we won't know that as Murray says till, till November and, and, you know, or October, October, I mean, uh, but October is different than February, March when you're, when you're at the end of your career or towards the end of your career. So, um, that extra five, five months, that, affect the pre-season and it'll get you back to where you are makes you better or you actually don't have the the performance levels that the stimulus is supposed to give you I think it's interesting uh, so I know the Wales for the last two years have been preparing for this trend in how the game is going and, and it would have kind of come from from Gatlin's influence or learnings with the, with the Lions but um, they've already he- kind of maybe ahead of the curve maybe that's why they're such a good Six Nations um, because I know last November they started to to really focus on you know five six minute blocks of of intensity. Whereas before, um, you know, when Joe came in first, he had his three minute drill in Leinster, which players you know could barely breathe in the last yeah. uh, in the last thirty seconds. But but your body and your mind adapts to it. So um, if Ireland have pursued that uh, that slight change um, in focus, you know that's a really positive thing. But also from a player point of view. You know, they'll be aware of that and they'll know that they've neglected the kind of the collision fitness that you get. So while the panic might be external in the public, um, internally, you know, the players are smart and they know they haven't had the same stimulus um, in, in pre-season to get them ready for matches in in August. But once they pick those up and obviously that'll continue during the, during the tournament, that, as you say, the peak will be quarter-final. And uh, so there you got the theory plus the, the practical side of it. Only the, the squad really know, mm. you know, what's that like. So I think that's, you know, that's a real positive because um, that there'll be a real, there's a genuine reason then why um, the performances probably haven't been as good as we would have liked. And they have looked, they have looked like they're not powerful enough, but I know f- uh, from playing and coaching that, um, you know, once you get that contact fitness, your, your power increases. So you know, hopefully that's uh, that's why we looked a little bit power shy against England um, at certain times against Wales, end of the game against Wales, and um, you know that that would be a a real a real point that would give me confidence that you know we're going to go in better, we're going to be a lot better physically than we look at the moment. Yeah, it's a fascinating part of it because it's kind of unseen. I guess looking at the makeup of the squad, you you try and go through with a negative slant and see what's not there. Maybe obviously Devon Toner is a one that stands out your primary line caller for the last number of years it is a bit of a risk we spoke about it earlier on in the week that he's not there and the, the pressure is on Ian Henderson now to really step up into that role for James Ryan to take some of that burden as well again we don't know how that's going to go but that's a potential weakness you mentioned power I think Dan Levy missing again let's not dwell on, on who's not there too much but he is a, a, a massive player in that sense James Ryan can do things not a lot of guys can do but Dan Levy's almost on a similar page and a lot of the other contending nations seem to have 
a handful of those players, like really explosive power athletes. Dan Levy smashes people. He's got a bit of, we spoke to Scott Fardy and James Lowe about him last night. He's got a bit of X factor. He, he brings something different to it and is a real game winner, game changer. Um, so if you're looking at the squad, he is a big loss. He would have changed several of those games and, and been a dominant figure. And then maybe you look at fullback and if Rob Carney potentially picks up an injury, there's, there's doubt there about is Jordan Armour going to step up into that role? I would suggest that he is probably the next in line. Um, but they haven't really got a, a, a firm answer in that slot either. So there's little bits and pieces like that around the squad as well um, where you won't find out. And that's where luck comes in because, again, Scott Fardy mentioned it, first 20 minutes of the World Cup final, they lose Gitto and Kane Douglas. And it's a really even more of an uphill battle after that. So you need to have that bit of luck around injuries. Um, and last time Ireland obviously didn't have that. The last <laughs> five of probably their most important players, I'd say. The five yeah, you didn't yeah. want to lose. So that's when those things are exposed. But it is interesting to look at the, the squad from, from that kind of light. Is there any way, Bernard, to kind of prepare for, or like, is part of what you're saying about them preparing differently this time around in terms of their physical preparation designed towards trying to pick up less injuries or is it really just kind of in the hands of the gods whether I mean obviously yeah, you can't I think, prevent no, injuries no I think every team would have a you know a, a pretty intensive prehab rehab recovery nutrition massage everything that goes into trying to um, reduce injuries but the reality is it's a high impact collision sport and um, unfortunately I think you, you, you can definitely prevent or, or reduce soft tissue injuries um, but those impact collision injuries are it's a lot of us look, look, you know, things are happening so fast, even with great technique. Sometimes, you know, players with great technique show bad technique, you know, because um, of what the opposition do. So um, I don't think we can really uh, control control that. What I think our, our, our pre-season and, uh, and that preparation will hopefully do is, you know, have us um, in, a, in a condition that we can impose our, our game plan, whatever that game plan is going to be. We still can't say quite clearly yes um, you know given what we've seen in, in those three games how Ireland are going to play I think probably a telling sign was you know when Joe was asked about you know McGrath over Mariam you know he spoke about McGrath's kicking you know so I, I'm convinced we're going to go back to for us to beat New Zealand or South Africa we're going to have to go to the air there's, there's no doubt and maybe against Scotland as well you know we have to go contestables and not give them any kind of easy easy ball to counter-attack off uh, and maybe to beat the Japanese that's the way we're going to have to play as well um, although we can probably play it a few different ways but I do think Ireland will go back to a um, a, a, a game a style of game which is about getting into their 22 as often as possible and then grind them, uh, ground them down and uh, getting in there through aerial uh, aerial dominance would be um, a part of that and even though we haven't seen a lot of it in the warm games um, I, I'd be shocked if that's not something that we'll be focused on massively over the, over the summer It's going to be one of the key components to the World Cup Murray we didn't quite get around to discussing it last night but just kicking generally speaking and seeing what some of the other teams are doing in terms of their kicking approach it's not just bombing the ball into the air and, and looking for a contestable it's actually exploring space now again probably similar to what it was a decade or more ago yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the biggest change in the game in the last, what, five, ten years is the quality of defence. It's almost comical at times looking back at old games now and it's professional rugby, but there's really a real lack of organisation and, and there's no line speed virtually. Everyone's kind of up and out and using the touchline. Um, and that's changed massively. And now there's the response is how you get around that. And when there's 14 players in the front line, like smashing through it 
ball in hand or even passing to, to space, often there's not space there. So you've got to look in behind where teams are less um, stacked in the backfield than they potentially used to be or guys aren't dropping off a half on the wing um, and how you exploit that, how you can use maybe your second or even third receiver to kick. So move the ball through the hands, draw up a wing, you know, move the fullback around, even set piece plays. We've seen England do it against Ireland, that one where Elite Daly nudged through and Jacob Stockdale couldn't couldn't gather it in. Jacob Stockdale is a great example of getting to the edge and then chipping once the fullback's been manipulated as well. So there's all sorts of that going on. You're even seeing the All Blacks uh, kind of experiment with short little box kicks into a space in front of the backfield defence who are sitting deep. Um, and Scotland have done that a couple of times as well. So it's really exciting to see that element of it, as well as just like relieving pressure. Like tactical kicking out of your own half is important as well because you just can't sustain that much pressure in your defensive territory. Obviously, if you turn the ball over, you know, we saw even in the Wales game last weekend where Ireland get into a really dominant position, receive a restart. They try to play out of their 22. Uh, Carty hits Andrew Conway, gets caught and they get a turnover. And now all of a sudden, Wales are attacking five metres out and they keep the ball for the rest of the game. That's based on one t- decision that I think Jack Carty probably in hindsight will, and, and the, both halfbacks will feel we could have relieved pressure there get into their half, use our kicking game um, and allow them to try and throw something at us from deep. So it is a massive part of it. So yeah, I agree with Bernard. I think Ireland have a lot more to come from there. It's been interesting to see them experiment, but I think that could be a, a real positive for them. Well, I, I, I'd hate for us not to use it this week because I actually think against Wales, um, in terms of psychological um, boost or, or psychological damage, if we try and implement an attacking framework that's not fully tuned up yet or um and you use it against Wales obviously the you know the rewards are massive you know if we break them down it's going to give us huge confidence but if we go out and we get smashed behind the gain line for most of the game uh, and we don't get enough you know territory in their half or, um that's going to be a, a negative for us so it's a it's a fine balance between okay Joe doesn't want to show his hand but the reality is I think this is this group probably need to have at least some experience of, of implementing what's going to be, you know, our game plan in the World Cup. But also, given the opposition we have, it'd be foolhardy to try and get around them. You know, um, that, for me, that'd be that'd be just playing into Wales's hands and, and Sean Edwards' hands and giving Wales a massive psychological uh, boost by coming to Ireland and, and shutting them down. Mm. I, I, I sense we're kind of moving into reasons why Ireland are going to win the World Cup. <laughs> just add one last negative note. And it is a positive as well, is Joe Schmidt himself and and the sheer intensity of the man in that environment for, what is it now? It's already been nine weeks and there's another, hopefully for Ireland, seven to come. And how he manages that side of it and always demanding things of players. It seems like to me from the preseason, he's definitely getting better balance there and maybe his coaching staff around him in terms of easing off the players at the right time, giving them a breather. Um, and that's an important part of it as well. It's a very uh, condensed space of time to be um that on for all the time he, he's so demanding of their attention and their work rate and I've no doubt the players will deliver a lot of that on the flip side he is a, a big reason why Ireland can be confident because the players how many times have they benefited from his incredible rugby brain think of beating the All Blacks in, in 2018 in Dublin and that try that Jacob Stockdale scored the sheer genius of the way they created that space the understanding of the, the way the All Blacks were going to defend off the line out um, and even little bits and pieces like that, I don't think anyone will have worked as tirelessly as he will to understand even, I'm sure he's watched Russia countless times, he knows all the players, etc. 
Um, but in those big moments, it's happened so often that he's been the, the difference. Yeah, and I think if we're going to flip to being positive now, um, I, w- I would agree with you massively there. And um, ironically, I, w- I was at a talk last night and it was around the psychology around investments. Okay, so bear with me for a second. Um, so effectively, people think because the results are good, decision making is necessarily good. Right? And it's actually it's actually false. Um, and what's the key psychologically behind good investments are, you know, being very process focused rather than result focused and have taken a long-term view. And I think, you know, it fits nicely with kind of where Ireland are at in, in terms of going into this World Cup. You know, when Ireland, you know, know the process and stick to it, we're very hard to beat. And I think in, in, in the Six Nations, um, there was an element of, of getting away from that. You know, and I think that was a perfect reminder to the players that, you know, when they follow Joe's game plan and instruction to the letter, we are able to beat anybody. So I think, you know, we'll go back to that and the team will be very process focused and that's a that's a huge strength of ours. Maybe not, doesn't work necessarily in other countries, but it, it, the Irish players um, like to, to know the roadmap and follow it. And the other, the second part is having a long-term focus. And I think, you know, this plan that we're going to see unfold over the next two months, you know, it started four years ago. It genuinely did, you know, uh, uh, and people go, John Klein's getting his first cap against Italy. I mean, there was a there was a push to get him into the country that week, three years ago, so he could play against Italy or that he'd be eligible for the World Cup and be able to play in the warm-up game. So, um, and while, you know, I'm not saying that every decision in terms of squad selection or, or whatever um, has followed the plan, um, a lot of them have. And the reason, the ones that, ha- that haven't is because injury, loss of form, Etc. Or, or change in, in the way um, the game has gone, but which you couldn't really control four years ago, um, or you couldn't predict necessarily four years ago. So I, I do think there's a there's a very strong plan. Players have been well managed um, over the last four years in terms of their game time, etc. And um, to the probably detriment of some of the provinces, but this is where you hopefully get the reward for that. You know, and uh, you can have a you know, a, a 34-year-old, uh, um, 10 and a 37-year-old hooker because they've been unbelievably well managed. Right. You know, and if if they don't, well, then you, you know, everything comes into question But because, um, you know, that's what you, you have a, a player welfare or a player management program to try and make sure when you go to a World Cup, those players are fit, but also at the peak of the performance. So um, for me, there are two reasons to be to be mm-hmm. positive. Yeah, and then you look at, like you mentioned those older players, you look at the makeup of the squad from a positive point of view, I think it's the best squad they've taken to a World Cup. Maybe it doesn't have the number of household names that that golden generation had um, and obviously didn't do too well at a World Cup, but I think the the quality across the board is much better. There's so much experience. We mentioned Best, Sex and Kearney. They contribute to a really experienced squad. And like obviously number of caps isn't an indicator of exact success, but there's often a bit of a correlation there. Tallied up all the, the caps in the squad, Ireland have 1,113, which leaves them behind only Australia and the All Blacks in terms of the other nine contending nations. Actually, the Wallabies surprised me. They have 1,406 mm. caps. Yeah. A lot of veterans in there. They're the most experienced. Then it's the All Blacks, then it's Ireland. After that, you've got Argentina, then Wales, then England, South Africa, Scotland, and France are on 807 caps, but they could end up winning the bloody thing. Yeah. Um, but Ireland have that that level of experience, um, know-how, obviously not in World Cup, but know-how winning at a, a top test level. And then on the flip side of that, they have this tier of incredible young players, really. The average age of the squad is two years below what it was in 2015. It's 26.5 on, on average. And think of the guys who make that up. James Ryan, 
to me is one of the best players in the World Cup. He's one of the best players in the world. An absolute freak of a second row, can do everything. Looks a little bit bigger even again, I think, after that preseason, and, and he's going to be a dominant figure. Jacob Stockdale, I know he's still got a lot to work on in his game, but that's 16 tries and 21 tests. He's already in the top 10 level with Ron O'Gara, actually, yeah. um, on 16. And his scoring rate is 0.88 tries per game. The best after that is Dennis Hickey on 0.47. So he's just been absolutely ruthless. He saw for the second try against Wales last weekend. He is onto that in a flash. He's so alert. The nudge of that left foot, which is provided and delivered or assisted so many tries now. And then the pace was just uh, electric. He's a, a, a big, big game finisher, I think. So does that tier of guys, Carberry, obviously so exciting, Larmer. The younger crop that he's bled in over the last couple of years, and they obviously went to that under-20 World Cup final in, was it 2016, uh, several of them. So there's a nice balance in the squad there. Um, and as Bernard mentioned earlier on, you, you talk about world-class players, I think it was Bob Dwyer who said, you have to have five, isn't it? That was mm. his formula. They probably do have that. Like Furlong is world-class in his position, Keane Healy, uh, Johnny Sexton, Conor Murray when he's at his best. James Ryan. Um, and James Ryan. And then there's several others you could argue. I don't think too many would argue with those five right there. Um, so there is a, a really strong squad. And while the form may not have been brilliant the last while, there's so much to be positive out there. I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're talking about how Joe Schmidt has sort of maybe found a better balance in terms of offering the players a little bit of respite or whatever and perhaps easing up slightly with the kind of psychotic intensity. <laughs> Does a coach Bernard have to nearly manage himself then as well? Because like you think of what Joe Schmidt has invested in this entire World Cup cycle and the amount of time and the uh, amount of detail he goes into in his preparation like can he afford to give himself any kind of respite at all and uh, is it dangerous to not to yeah I think it is dangerous that's a potential potential risk I think um, he's obviously a rugby genius obviously massively passionate about um, you know finishing his legacy in Ireland which no matter what happens is going to be a positive one but he wants to you know really create history um, and sometimes you can want things too much and I'm not saying he does but that's the that's the fear and that's the worry but I think that's where Andy Farrell and Greg Feek need to um, you know the, the, the great thing is that, and Richie Murphy and Simon they're actually together quite a while so they should know each other very well um, and that's where they got to make sure that the, the environment you know, in the old squad is is is, is fun and, and relaxed when time is, is right to be relaxed, but also in terms of a coaching group and a management group, you know, and I don't know how many management are gonna bring 18, 19, 20. Um but there needs to be a Joe can't carry the whole thing on his own. You know, that's why you have specialists in, in lots of different areas and um uh, yeah it's obviously a very stressful time for him, a lot of pressure. Um he's been in, in pressurized environments for you know, I'd say the last 10, 10, 12 years, Claremont would have been pressurised even though he's only an assistant. And uh, um, it's not, he's not used to that, but it's just important that they get the balance right. And also in a foreign, in a country as as far as foreign as Japan is different, there can be that tendency to lock yourself in a hotel. And um, it's important that, you know, that they don't do that as well and they get out and about and um, just try and find little gaps in your, in your day or your night to just try and unwind as hard as it is because I think he's, you know, for him, unwinding is watching tape, um, <laughs> and if that's what if that's if that's what whatever you works. know what works, yeah. <laughs> but it's just important that um, you know he, he he enjoys as well. It's his last his last period with with a team that he's created and built. I imagine him using like the Mitre Ten Cup as his unwinding. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Mako. Exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other bit is like we've spoken about the kind of trickiness of Ireland's potential route. 
and there's so much focus in that quarter final. But if you look at the pool, it was interesting that, again to refer to last night James Lowe reminded us you know Ireland probably got the best pool of anyone um, obviously Japan and Scotland are dangerous but it's negotiable in terms of you look at rankings etc history against those opponents um, and also the way that it's fixtured out so you start with those two really tough tests six day turnaround against the two other strong nations and then you've got Russia and Samoa so that you can rotate in what is a really strong uh, squad we've mentioned some of the other options so like you even look at the second team that he could potentially play, like Kilcoyne, Scanlon or Cronin, Porter, Ryan, Kleinburn, Ruddock, Conan, McGrath, all these guys who are really good options. Carberry, obviously, Carty even, you could put Carberry at 15. So he's got loads of scope to change it up there. And last time, obviously, the most damaging thing was that pool stage win over the French where everything had built up to that moment and, and beating them, obviously, physically, incredibly attritional and lost so many players. But also emotionally, it was a massive spike and then it was so hard for all of them I think to get back up and even without those injured players who were so instrumental it just felt emotionally Ireland weren't really there that week so now they've got those two big games hopefully from their point of view win those two first games rotate guys in and then you've got your your front liners really really fresh for a massive game and and hopefully their chance to make history to play devil's advocate in relation to just how the fixtures are laid out is there a danger that in finishing with two relatively soft touches compared to the first two games that you could lose some of that collision fitness and especially recycling the squad where you could go from you you won't have really played a high intensity game since Japan if Ireland make a quarterfinal no I don't think so I think that you know he won't the his first choice team will play some part in one of those games whether it's off the bench or or the start but the beauty of it is is that if if Conor Murray got injured, if we had a very difficult last game uh, of our group stages and Conor Murray got a knock that was going to be two weeks or, or whatever, it'd be a huge risk to send him home and bring out another scrum half. To go into that match with, with McGrath and, Car- and Carberry covering, covering nine, for example, which Carberry's are back as a third choice nine. Whereas if, Joey, if Conor gets injured against Japan, you, know, you don't have to make any rash decisions on, on sending a replacement out straight away. So I think that... Um, whatever risk there is around losing collision fitness, I think it's far outweighed by the ben- uh, the advantage of actually, you know, being able to rest and 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 recover anybody who has a knock, you know, over those two weeks against against or not two weeks, two games against uh, Samoa and Russia. How like how organised would you say in his mind are the teams for each game? Would you say he's already planned yeah. out those last two? Yeah, I'd say he has. Yeah. I'd say they've got a draft that they will discuss as coaches. Um, for the four games, to be honest, um, and you know, obviously you can change that, but they would, they would like everyone to have played a part in the World Cup, I'm sure by, yeah. um, you know, by the by the end of the group stages and um, the players that they feel they need to wrap in cotton wool, you know, that'll be factored in. Now things can change, but um, I'd imagine they have they've drafted that, yeah. Mm. So in that case, like if, if we're looking at it from a positive point of view, you're coming into potentially your hardest ever quarterfinal, but in better condition than you've ever been in terms of having had two wins, they'll hope to start with that, and then keeping your players fresh. And you come in knowing that you can beat both those teams as well, um, and knowing that you're fit enough for what is the atmosphere over there and the, the weather conditions, etc. So, yeah, look, <laughs> you can look at it both ways, but when you talk about those positive sides, you realise just how they could be in a, a really good position. I think this weekend just feels like it needs to have a, a, a kind of momentum kick as well, and, and then they go away with all that positivity. Yeah, will it have that momentum kick burner? Do you see? Yeah, no, I think I think it will. I think it will. I think um, hopefully the atmosphere will be, um, you know, 
really really intimidating and and, um, and vibrant and you know we get to see a full blooded test match I still even you know I, I, I don't think last week was really full blooded you know um, in, in the in the principality um, and I think we need we, we need that test match um, atmosphere on and off the field um, and these players deserve a good send off you know let's be honest like they're they've brought a huge amount of joy to to the rugby fans in this country they deserve a, a good send off and uh, hopefully they'll get it Yeah Murray Ireland win for you Yeah I think so I really like to look at that team and as we mentioned before I feel like they've they've kind of tapered off and they're going to be physically in a good spot so yeah it'd be, it'd be great to see a, a, an excellent test match as well that's what I'm hoping for the Welsh team as well they have their own focuses and priorities etc but it's going to be full-blooded can't wait. Uh, we'll get proper World Cup predictions off you then after this one. Let's get this <laughs> out of the way first. Gents, thanks a million. Thanks. Thank you. We'll catch you again next week. And thanks a million to you at home as well. And thanks once again to those of you who came down to Liberty Hall Theatre, Bernard, uh, for uh, the show with James Lowe <laughs> and Scott Fardy. <laughs> oh, enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Thanks to Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby and this podcast. And we'll catch you next week. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Lowe! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and oh!